to the Lightly Literary Podcast, the only book club podcast that doesn't even want to go to the lighthouse, honestly. It just looks nice <laughs> from afar. Like, I'll hike somewhere else. I'll hike on the dunes. I don't know, Amanda, where do you want to go? Um, I love the dunes. I, I would love to go back to the Outer Banks. Yeah. Yeah, let's do yeah, it. And, Outer Banks trip. Yeah. In Wisconsin, that's yeah. called Door County. We go to Door County. Uh, okay. Just the name of a county <laughs> with the dunes. <laughs> it's like the touristy, nice, you know, part of Wisconsin that's on Lake Michigan. But, I mean, do I even, yeah, it's going to be rough there. It's going to be craggy and hard to walk on. Can't find your footing. Like, I don't is the appeal of a lighthouse from up close? Aren't they charming from afar? Right. Yeah. You, I mean, it loses its charm once you get closer to it, I feel like, because then you yeah. have to walk up all those stairs. I've seen that <laughs> horror movie by, I think it's Eggers is the director, The Lighthouse with Willem Dafoe and Robert Pattinson. And I don't need to spend any time on a lighthouse. I have not seen that. It's intense. You should look it up. I'll, I'll not dwell on it for too long because we'll get sidetracked. But yeah, it's 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 kind of like a dis or a representation of madness, so I don't want to go mad. If you have no idea why we're talking about lighthouses, then you must not have read the title of this podcast, because this is a book club about the novel <laughs> To the Lighthouse, um, but this is, as I mentioned, the Lightly Literary Podcast, the Thoughtful Book Club Podcast. If you don't follow us on social media, we've got accounts where you can keep up with us. That is at Instagram and Facebook, and it's just under the Lightly Literary Podcast, and that's all one word. So check us out there. Give us a follow. If you want to see what we're reading, the planned books that we've got coming up if you ever want to read ahead or look ahead to the books we'll be doing we post them there and yeah check us out follow us there all the good stuff um book club episodes are spoiler filled they are spoiler bound episodes so if you do not want the first half or i guess we should name the parts right it's not half what is this yeah, part it's the called? the first uh, it's called the the window the window okay Mm-hmm. Part fitting, one, the window. Fitting enough, there's a lot of glancing in and out of windows, so sure, <laughs> uh, that, that fits. Um, and it is the longest part of the book, so today's episode for part one for the To the Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf, I should mention. <laughs> I almost forgot to mention the author, of course. She's just so famous, I almost felt like I didn't need to mention her, but we should. Um, yeah, we'll be spoiling the window. And then the other two parts, which are called, I think time passes and then the lighthouse fittingly enough uh, those will be on part two's book club so today we'll be doing a little little more than half a touch more if you do not care about spoilers then stick with us for this episode you're in good hands we'll discuss analyze the work and have our fun discussion um, but if you do not want spoilers or you haven't read yet you can always just press pause on this and come back and listen it'll be up in the feed you know forever anyway as long as time allows mm-hmm. Any content warnings, Amanda, for you? I could not think of any because, well, yeah, no, I just couldn't think of any. Yeah, I mean, it's a family drama. There's not much. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. Uh, that, yeah, I would say no. Debate Unless, like, uh, gender roles, like, trigger you. <laughs> yeah, I was going to make a snarky joke, which I, I'll make later, I'm sure, but I'll, I'll make it now since I've already alluded to it but i was gonna say can you have a content warning in a book where nothing happens i don't it's <laughs> <laughs> it's difficult i don't there's no yeah so uh, there's no content warnings for this book yeah um none. <laughs> impossible uh and i think i chose it though again i, I sometimes with our <clears throat> picks they do get blurry did i pick this or did you i picked you, it okay um, i just had a cold copy that's yeah you that's already had a copy of it yeah, I've tried to read this book a few times. That was the disconnect. Okay. So, yeah, before we do our first segment, then, do you want to lay out very briefly why you chose it? What's the interest here? Um, I've never read Virginia Woolf, but she's got such a... She's so well-known in the, in you know, 
the capital L literary world. Yeah, I was yeah. like, you know, I should probably read something by her. And um, when I looked up um, some of her books, like this one came highly rated. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. I was like, oh, so this seems to be like one of the favorites of the Virginia Woolf fans. So Big time. that's yeah. why I, I picked it up. So. Yeah, and my exposure to her is small, but in college I did read A Room of One's Own, which is pretty famous. It's also nonfiction, critically. Mm. And then some fiction, but snippets. I bet I had read parts of this. It's kind of like you experience... There's some Russian authors who are this way, where it's like I read some Tolstoy and some... um, Oh, what's his name? Kara Karam? No, that's his brother's Karamazov. Who wrote that? Well, anyway, but it's it's um, like you you get pre- Dostoevsky. Yeah, it's like I've read authors like that, but only in snippets, or it's almost like you treat parts of it like a little novella or something. And I think in a lot of college undergrad mm-hmm. courses, the readings are kind of that way, where it's like you read big chunks of stuff, but just to get exposure, you don't like. <laughs> I didn't like finish anything, so I I really just couldn't recall. I might even have owned this book because I had to read. You know, like maybe I read. 30 pages of it at some point they wanted us to read like a scene i don't know um Mm. you certainly could excerpt some scenes you could probably excerpt the dinner scene from this chunk from this part and like read that on its own if you you know did it thoughtfully anyway so yeah my exposure to her is is minimal but i did really love a room of one's own and coming out of this i'll say at least so far I, she's just a writer I want to read nonfiction. I, her, I think her nonfiction is pretty excellent, but I, yeah, I don't know. I felt mixed on this. I was really grappling with myself while reading it, so we'll get into mm-hmm. that, of course, in a bit. Um, let's do our first segment, then. 60-second summary challenge. I don't mind going first, Amanda. My summary's going to take 10 <laughs> seconds. I don't even need... <laughs> don't give me 60. I only need five. Um Though jokingly, I'll I'll try and fill it with, uh, I'll I'll use the full 60, I'll try and fill it with other things. Let me just pull up a timer. Um, (laughs) But yes, we each, this is the segment I should define it, where we each get 60 seconds to summarize the story thus far. And so we're each going to, you know, allot ourselves that time and do our best to cover everything that's happened in the story up to this point. It is just kind of a fun way to catch everybody up on what's going on in this book. And then also, it's a bit of a silly challenge for us to try and fight through and deal with. Do you, you want me to go first? I know I joke about it yeah you go right on ahead (laughs) okay and i've got my timer so i'll count myself down i think it's just easier i'll do it that way all right three two one go this book is about an unhappy family that doesn't communicate with each other at all in any way or in any meaningful form and they all just think terrible things about each other in silence and that's it (laughs) uh and well and some guests there's a couple guests including a really old curmudgeonly guy who everyone secretly hates and he hates them and they don't want to be around each other there is a couple falling in love which is kind of sweet but then there's a lost brooch on a beach and there's some crisis there but it's basically the thoughts and feelings of characters as they stare at each other in silence and they all resent each other and no one's, you know, no one's content. No one's getting along. Uh, I'll quickly run through the roles, I guess. The kids, I don't, it's hard to tell the kids apart, but the wife of this family is kind of secretly, she's got, she's had eight children, feels trapped by her life, her domesticity life. She feels bound to it in a negative way. The husband is kind of a failing academic, but he's had some success. He considers himself like an intelligent, great man, but also isn't having that much success. So he's kind of, you know, he has this pathetic masculinity about him. He's struggling with that. Oh, there we go. That was 60. But I feel fine with it. <laughs> <laughs> I covered it. I, I feel good about what I've said. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Um, it's pretty accurate. Yeah. Any any thoughts on any thoughts on the summary? Otherwise, I'll, I'll set yours up, too. Uh, nope. I'm ready. Do you prefer to time yourself, or do you want me to? You can time me. Okay. Uh, take it away in three, two, one, go. 
so we have Mrs. Ramsey and Mr. Ramsey, who are the, the married couple, and they have eight kids. Um, and she's especially close to the youngest kid, James, who she promises they will go to the lighthouse tomorrow. But then um, her her husband, Mr. Ramsey's like, no, it's not nice enough for tomorrow. The weather's going to change. And then Mr. Tansley, who's the one that the kids call the atheist um, and nobody seems to like, he's like <clears throat> uh, needling James about that. And he uh, eventually goes to town with Mrs. Ramsey for a shopping trip. He realizes that he kind of is actually in love with Mrs. Ramsey because she's like the most beautiful person ever, even though she's in her 50s. Then um, we also have Lily, who's a painter, um, and Mr. Bay who is another philosopher and an old friend of Mr. Ramsey's. They seem to get along really well. There's some hopes that they're going to get married, but then, you know, not. And then there's Peter and Mintra, who are engaged by the end, and she loses her grandmother's brooch. There we go. And Time. Yeah. The brooch, not the brooch. The only thing I think we didn't mention plot-wise, though, like I said, this book has this book is plotless. So if you're reading a book yeah. for plot, you you need to sprint, not run away from this book. <laughs> <laughs> um, nothing happens in this story, which is I don't know. Part of again why I'm grappling with it is like part of me admires it so much and has enjoyed parts of it, and then part of me is like, well, this is badness too. Like who decided yeah. that this yeah. is what a book should be? Um, it's kind of insane to read, <laughs> uh, but it, you know, I don't know, in an intriguing way. Anyway, um, the only plot thing we missed was the dinner. Which is a really intriguing scene. It also lasts for a long time. So yeah, we just didn't mention that. But it's, uh, but nothing happens at it. They they have a dinner. They just all think their private thoughts. They make some public jokes and kind of commentary to each other. But it's just a. It's a very. I, the joke with this book, I think, is going to continue to be if you stripped away, if it was just dialogue, the book would be about a page long so far. And it's been 125 yeah. pages, at least in my edition. And so it's like at the dinner, objectively, again, nothing happens. There's no they they say like three things to each other. And but it's, you know, 40 pages or, or what have you. Um Right. So yeah, I think we did okay with our summaries. Obviously, it's kind of a joke summarizing this book. It's just not about <laughs> things that happen. <laughs> it's about things yep. that are thought and are unsaid. So Exactly. Yeah, a deep character study that has very little to do with stuff occurring. Um, though, you know, we'll, we'll make some commentary on that. There is one clear action that they may do, that is the go to the lighthouse. So let's not ignore that title. Uh, should we move into some quotes? Oh, we'll see. <laughs> yeah, it's not promising so far, but, you know, TBD. Um <laughs> <laughs> Should we jump into some actual plot here? Or, you know, some quotes, not plot. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's nothing to jump I, into Maybe I'll have plot. a quote about some plot. Yeah, we'll, we'll get into that. Um, <laughs> this is our next segment then. With book club episodes, we always do quotes for clarification. This is just when we pull out quotes from the work so we can discuss it really specifically, analyze it with some detail, and actually discuss, you know, the things we liked so far, haven't liked so far, just our general analytical thoughts. Not really themed around anything, just some quotes. Um, Amanda, why don't you go first? Because I feel like I've already done what I always do, which is kind of, I say I'm not going to summarize how I feel, and then I do it anyway. Anyway, so I've kind of already tipped, <laughs> already tipped kind of my feelings. But why don't you start us with a quote? Sure, um, I'll start with page six, so towards the very beginning, and <clears throat> this is uh, something that I've I noticed while I was reading is um, uh, Virginia Woolf kind of playing with uh, gender roles and kind of pointing out like some inconsistencies with our expectations of of the different genders and stuff. So. Um, <clears throat> it says here, this is about Mrs. Ramsey, who is the, the mother and mm-hmm. wife, who's very beautiful. Um, 
they they keep saying how beautiful she is. Um, indeed. Indeed. <laughs> indeed. <laughs> she had the whole of the other sex under her protection for reasons she could not explain, for their chivalry and valor, for the fact that they negotiated treaties, ruled India, controlled finance. Finally, for an attitude towards herself which no woman could fail to feel or to find agreeable, something trustful, childlike, reverential, which an old woman could take from a young man without loss of dignity, and woe betide the girl, pray heaven it was none of her daughters, who did not feel the worth of it and all that it implied to the marrow of her bones. In other words, she is the protector of men uh, because they need protecting because they are the rulers of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> which will come up again. There's, And I think I, um, spoiler ahead, I'm terrible at doing this too, but I'm alluding to a future segment. We'll be talking more about the kind of the role of gender in the story. It's something that Wolf is incredibly famous and acclaimed for like analyzing and picking apart uh, in nonfiction and fiction alike. But yeah, this is a common thread, which is just that the men in the story are burdened by, you know, societal... Uh, import and they they have to uphold you know the world on their shoulders the atlas figures and then the women are just kind of like trying to figure out what to do in the meantime yeah (laughs) yeah so yeah that's a pretty common they 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 have to protect the male ego that's like uh, later on that's the big thing is like oh we have to make sure that these men are happy because they're actually quite frail because of their egos yeah yeah and if things as it indicates it with her husband it that's the that's ramsey family is that the last name okay i can already tell the names you know how i get but i'm already going to start confusing some people (laughs) but yes he it's noted has like a kind of a downturning career like there's a commentary in there about how it's almost surprising that they live this comfortably like there's a chance that they might be they should probably be in a financial hardship but they're not quite yet so it's all signs indicate that his career is ending or at least getting quiet and that he doesn't have the foothold in academia he once did that there's some kind of looming threats to the family uh, financial material threats so yeah all that stuff haunts kind of the edges of the of his psyche anyway Mm-hmm. Do you find her a compelling character so far? I mean, she probably gets the most page page count, but this book is quite comfortable jumping around and kind of shifting POV. She's definitely, I feel like she's the focal point because mm-hmm. we get the most of her thoughts, but then other people's thoughts are about her. So like Lily yeah. talks, yeah, so Lily also gets a lot of, we get a lot of her insights um, yeah, yeah. And Mr. Banks, we get some insights, but they're all related to Mrs. Ramsey and Tansley, too. The, the, who they call the little atheist. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> yeah. A nice curmudgeonly and it's all about figure. Her. Exactly. Yeah. Old man in his tweed, he only has one pair of pants, no dress clothes. <laughs> <laughs> Why do these silly women get dressed up for dinner? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> of course, he says nothing, so that's the usual in this yep. story. It's kind of the default expectation. Um, yeah, I, let's talk style a bit then, because I've got a quote I wanted to discuss early, just because it defines so much of what this book wants to do. And I'll preface it by saying, I, yeah, again, I've had such a hard time with this book, because every time I want to mock it and call it like overworked and too effortful and kind of, and frankly, like if somebody read this and they're not much of a reader and they said it was boring, like I wouldn't even tell them they're wrong. I also think that's okay at times, but I, it's, <laughs> it is kind of that, I guess it's confusing too. Um, 
But every time I want to mock it, it does it does something intelligent or it has a great insight. And that's just, it gets me back to like, I really loved A Room of One's Own. And, and again, it's nonfiction. I just think her intellect and her style when thrown upon a clearer, like having a thesis, having an argument, trying to almost persuade, argue, something like that, like a different purpose. I just think it's more worthy of it. Like this fiction I think is intriguing, but I'm not, I can't say I love it. I'm not sure if you feel similarly or if you're really vibing with it, but um let, let me give a stylistic example. Most of this novel is people looking at each other and then her writing about what the look should or could or can mean, but it not coming to anything. It's just what the characters are internalizing or kind of interpreting. And so I, do you think this book is funny, for example? Because I found myself laughing at the book a lot, but I, it's one of those things where it's like, am I laughing with or at this author? And, you know, it's not like Wolf needs anybody's defense. She's like one of the most acclaimed, like revered writers of the last 200 years. Um, but it's like sometimes she does the turns where it's like it's why people I think it helps me understand better why people make fun of English people. Uh, like majors, you know, like ourselves, we both were, mm-hmm. because it's like you can read so much into absolutely nothing. And this book just does it every single, almost every paragraph. It's like nothing happened. There's only a person looking at another person. But now let me tell you the 45 things that this means. And it's just like, right. this is why people make fun of books like this. And so there were times <laughs> yeah. when I like wanted to laugh when it would happen. When I was like, oh my gosh, this is absurd. Like what a silly, like uh, you're really going to go on a 10 page tangent because two people looked at each other. But then at the same time yeah. within the 10 pages, I'm like, ah, there's like 30 interesting little bits and details and what an insight. It's just so unfocused and it's just so kind of absurd that I, I don't know. That's why I'm so torn where it's like, I do get why you would mock this, but I also can't ignore the writing. (laughs) Uh, Exactly. Yeah. That's exactly how I feel. Like I, when I first started reading it, I was like, whoa, this is almost, this is like almost stream of consciousness, which I generally don't care for stream of consciousness as as a writing style. Um, But it's, there's some really great uh, stylistic tools that she uses. Like I love her metaphors and her similes. I think that she does a a great job with a lot of that, her imagery. Um, And then at the same time, like nothing is really happening and, but everything is so philosophical and analytical. It's, it's yeah it's it's hard to i both like and dislike what i'm reading you know like i yeah. really appreciate some of just like the beauty of her words and then as as far as like an actual story i'm like oh man yeah okay i <laughs> i got i got to slog yeah. through it <laughs> you know what's hilarious about this too is i've been reading it i think i've settled on this insight into my own feeling I think I admire writing like this where you turn nothing into something like just as a baseline literary endeavor. I wish more authors did that. Like, I don't think every plot has to be filled with melodrama and life or death stakes. So and on the one hand, I'm like, yes, this is a cool mission to be like, I'm going to take a 12 hour window and spin it into infinite reflection and have like a million ideas about what this family's like, even though nothing occurs. And mm-hmm. yet, I find the setting so deeply, like, I don't care about mannered upper middle class people in this time period in history, nor in England, or Scotland, I guess, where they're staying. And so at the same time, I'm like, well, 
it just kind of loses me there. Like, if this was done in a setting that I deeply cared about, or, like, maybe a fantastical setting, or I don't know, you know, I prefer stories like that, um, the same approach in a different context, I think, could actually really win me over. But as it is, I'm yeah. like, yeah, I just don't... I mean, the feminism and misogyny stuff has been interesting, because she's very, like, thoughtful and, and writes that stuff well. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, I don't care about these, like, professor types who are curmudgeon... Like, it just doesn't... It's, inter it's interesting because of the writing, but I, it's like if this stylistic mission was transported or copy-pasted elsewhere, I do think it might have won me over in like a real way. Instead, I'm just kind of like, it's a fun study, <laughs> I guess. I feel like, too, uh, the, as I'm reading this, I'm like, you know, this could have been made into a really great short story. Like, when oh, I read yeah. a short story, just, like, super focused on, like, a family drama, like, that, that it's, it's fine. Because yeah. you're not reading, like, these giant paragraphs of just, a lot of the time, like, the same thing. Um, yeah, especially yeah. because, you know, her writing itself is also really great. I think that if this were translated into a short story, I would have been like all over it. Yeah. Let me do the quote. So the quote that with the glancing, there's a million of these. I could have picked, there are hundreds of these moments where it's like two characters glance somewhere at something and then they have to reflect. But this one is the first one I really marked in the book where I was like, geez, this is absurd. Um, they're yelling at Jasper. It says someone has blundered. I think there was some kind of accident. Um, and then it says his eyes glazed with emotion, defiant with tragic intensity met theirs for a second and trembled on the verge of recognition but then raising his hand halfway to his face as if to avert to brush off in an agony of peevish shame their normal gaze as if he begged them to withhold for a moment what he knew to be inevitable as if he impressed upon them his own childlike resentment of interruption yet even in the moment of discovery was not to be routed entirely but was determined to hold fast to something of this delicious emotion this impure rhapsody of which he was ashamed but in which he reveled he turned abruptly, slammed his own private door in them, and Lily Briscoe and Mr. Banks, looking uneasily up to the sky so they break the gaze, observed that the flock of starlings which Jasper had routed with his gun had settled on the tops of the elm trees. Oh, so it was, oh, it was when he was firing his gun, like playing with the gun. That makes sense. Nice little masculine moment for him. <laughs> um... But it's just, it's it's kind of, you know, it is kind of a stream of consciousness thing where you're never going to get one description when two can make it more complicated. It's like you're never going to get one interpretation in the fiction when the author can offer four or the author can offer four and thereby like twist and turn you around. And it's like it double backs on itself with some of its descriptions. You know, it's like he's feeling this peevish shame, but maybe he's averting it. And then later it, it comes back to that description and calls it a delicious emotion, the impure rhapsody of which he was ashamed, but in which he it's like you can't even get a reflection without it being contradicted and then without it being qualified and then it's contradicted mm -hmm. again it's just like and again this is all just people looking at him they're just this right. is what he experiences when he t looks at them and nothing has happened <laughs> and it's kind of yeah i don't know i mean the again a million quotes we could have pulled like that i think this was just the first one i marked in the book thinking like oh this is going to be this is the flow of this novel yeah, yeah. it's a lot of um a physical inaction, but a whole lot of like mental processes, which is yeah. fitting considering most of these guys are philosophers, right? <laughs> You're right, right, so. right. And no, maybe none more so than Mrs. Ramsey, the wife, but you know, she doesn't get her say. She doesn't get her day in court, so to speak. Let's uh, jump to another quote of yours. I feel like I was going on there. No, that's great. Um, I have another quote from page 38. Uh, let me see if I can find it real quick. 
so boasting of her capacity to surround and protect, there was scarcely a shell of herself left for her to know herself by. All was so lavished and spent, and James, as he stood stiff between her knees, felt her rise in a rosy-flowered fruit tree laid with leaves and dancing boughs, into which the beak of brass, the arid scimitar of his father, the egotistical man, plunged and smote, demanding sympathy. Um, so this is about Mrs. Ramsey and Mr. Ramsey. So um, <clears throat> what I really liked about that quote is she's so um, she she puts herself into protecting these men in her life that she is an empty shell. So you think of like if you think of uh, like a hollow chocolate, like she's every everything is spread out to protect, but there's nothing inside. She's hollow. Um, so I thought that was really well put like explained in a way because it we also see mrs ramsey's you know thought processes as well and she's she kind of puts herself down she's like oh i'm not nearly as clever as these guys but then she has all these insights and understandings about everyone um yeah and and even her husband the few times that we see um his thought processes it's to put his wife down and say she's not nearly as smart as i am uh, but I kind of like it that way. She's just really pretty to look at. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and she she has so many different... Now, we won't pull quotes for all these. This is just me off the top of um, recalling. But she has all these moments where she thinks intense... Like, there's a dinner part that I might quote later where she talks about, like, her, she just kind of wishes to die, in a sense. Or she's just kind of tired yeah. of all of the social niceties and expectations. And that there's a moment when she thinks about, like traveling more or that her desire to kind of get out and see things there's a person or a character who she reflects has like themselves been able to see more of the continent and she has a, mm-hmm. a small little reflection about like oh I wish I could see and you know that um, Wolf names a couple of places I think like Brazil or South America or Asia I, I don't remember I'm making that up but it's yeah she has these moments where she wants to kind of reach out past her life and just feels trapped by it right exactly um, but also, she's, like, proud of how how feminine she is, too. I think because that's what she's praised for. Yeah. <clears throat> and then also in this <clears throat> quote, James, the son, the youngest son, he's pointing out, like, his comfort with his mother and how safe he feels with her. But then his father he describes as a scimitar, right? Beak right. of brass, arid scimitar, the egotistical man plunged and smote. <clears throat> so there's a lot of like violence that he associates with his father um and and very much the opposite of his his description of his his own mother so i I found that really interesting as well, yeah, the other characters, as you noted at the beginning, think a lot about her, especially lily um who i I think I picked on it most with picked up on it most with her. The husband does too a good amount at least just insofar as. He knows he's nasty at times and then kind of has regrets, but I don't... There's a comical and way simplistic but very fun reading of this book where it's just like, man, if these people said a tenth of what they thought, this book would not take any... They could just hash it out. Like, they could just have open... Yep. On yep. It. Like, that's kind of the joke of this whole thing is just like, 
they don't it seems like they don't say anything at all it's it's all again very mannered and that that is itself i think a critique by wolf and a, a purposeful mm-hmm. kind of feeling or observation but comparing this sort of family dynamic to i don't know imagine a family in today's world that's like been heavily therapized like they're all in therapy together and they all are trying to understand their emotions like this is so antithetical to just <laughs> it's like communicatively <laughs> antithetical to everything <laughs> to to a lot of i don't know current current recommendations for relationships is it's just kind of funny to see it in that way. There's just, yeah, it's, it's, there's so much, nothing, there's nothing said, like literally nothing. Um, Let's talk about the pool quickly. Uh, this scene did really grab me. I thought not only for its insightfulness, but also it's just people are they're out in the world. They're doing stuff. It's like they're just <laughs> which I think maybe that's why it grabbed my attention where I thought, yeah, there's people like they're adventuring there. There's a couple kissing. There's people like they're trying to play in the water. There's a lost brooch like it's it actually picked up with some stuff going on. There's some talking. There's like characters debating what to do about it anyway. But there's a description that struck me here in the middle. And this is, is it Minta? Who's at the pool? Yeah, that's how I, yeah. Yeah, it's Minta. Um, And this is when she's in the pool. Or no, it's Nancy. So Nancy's there too. To be honest with you, all the kids, I don't know. She, yeah, it's tough. I, I, the names I was struggling immensely with. Again, there's the married couple. There's all the kids they have, and then there's like the old curmudgeonly guy who's visiting, and then the younger, nicer guy who's visiting. That's, that's how my brain's doing it. Um, and then there's Lily who paints. That's, it's just I remember that. Anyway, this is Nancy actually, but this is the description. She crouched low down and touched the smooth rubber-like sea anemones who were stuck like lumps of jelly to the side of the rock. Brooding, she changed the pool into the sea and made the minnows into sharks and whales and cast vast clouds over this tiny world by holding her hand against the sun and so brought darkness and desolation like God himself to millions of ignorant and innocent creatures and then took her hand away suddenly and let the sun stream down. Out of the pale crisscross sand, high-stepping, fringed, gauntleted stalks and fantastic leviathan, she was still enlarging the pool, and slipped into the vast fissures of the mountainside and then letting her eyes slide imperceptibly above the pool and rest on that wavering line of sea and sky on the tree trunks which the smoke of streamers made waver upon the horizon she became with all that power sweeping savagely in and inevitably withdrawing hypnotized and the two senses of that vastness and this tininess flowering within it made her feel that she was bound hand and foot and unable to move by the intensity of feelings and I'll just stop there to spare the listeners but you get it <laughs> you get the, or maybe you don't get it I don't know um yeah, it's such a it's such a fascinating little microcosm of this woman uh, or young girl, I guess we should say, trying to like imagine herself a god. It's very masculine in how the book portrays masculinity, which is fighting, battling, godlike, violent, destructive, you know, c- controlling, and like she's having this little moment to imagine herself as such, and yet you know she's just playing around like a kid would, like playing pretend in a pool, which is a nice little juxtaposition. I also just wanted to pull this quote because if you just copy and pasted that quote out into a horror story and that was like describing what Cthulhu is doing <laughs> it would be like you'd be like whoa what a, what an immense you know what a terrifying horror power and what a you know what an incredible destruction and it would be this really horrific thing but you know Wolf just kind of slides that in it's just like a little character yeah. insight but and she just goes off you know for that's like a, what was that one sentence technically and it lasted for yeah. a page <laughs> um, forever so yeah yeah it's just like I but you know <clears throat> moments like that you i'm just like oh this is kind of genius in its way and i enjoy uh, thinking about like what's going on and how it reflects things in the story and yeah i'm not sure if that scene grabbed you it it definitely did um 
And and what's interesting too about that is um, she's there with uh, her brother Andrew, and Andrew is like his thought processes that we see is that he dislikes her because she's a tomboy. And he's like, oh, she's so right. not feminine. It's right. like running around catching things. And she dislikes him because he is male. Like at the end, they both like leave dissatisfied with the fact that the other is not their own gender. Uh, <laughs> right, right. But what I also found interesting too is like, as I'm reading that, not only is it kind of masculine in that she is, <clears throat> um, in charge of this world of these other people. It's also feminine because when we think about the way that her mom interacts with others and how she perceives herself, she's the protector of, of these people. She's the one she can affect with just a glance, how the mood of the table turns, right? She, with just a glance, she can control somebody's actions and, and make somebody feel great or make somebody feel worse. It's, it's a lot of that control stuff that is actually very feminine as well. Um, which I found really interesting too. And that's how I related that scene. And I like that if we think about control as kind of a motif, I know we'll get to our own motifs, but it is interesting because clearly she believes the men to have more control. It's like the quote you picked earlier mm-hmm. about how it's like they control India and they and they go right. over the world and they have society, civilizations at their fingertips and all of this. Yeah, but in the story, of course, they're very limp. They're solitary. They just read and write yep. books and don't do anything. <laughs> and she is the person with literal kind of agency and real human influence in the story it's meaningful i would say in that sense that this section ends with her basically controlling him because he can read like she's getting him to have the reaction she kind of wants or she's having Mm -hmm. sway over how he feels and she doesn't even have to say anything now granted in the story nobody says anything so i don't know i'm not going to give too much credit for that (laughs) subtlety or whatever it's like of course she didn't say anything in the end because no one ever speaks in this story but i yeah i think that is it is a meaningful comparison to be made because it's like she has such sway and also she kind of like negates not negates neglects her own sway way at times like she doesn't i don't think she fully believes in it um Mm -hmm. you know there's moments when it's clearly a power but there's other times when she's like yeah but it's not it's not the real stuff it's not the real right you know it's not the real juice right yeah which ties in with the each character has their own like self-doubts and stuff like that the things that they're really down on themselves about yeah and and it's the same thing. So that's her self-doubt, but her husband's self-doubt is also related to the thing that he takes the most pride in as well, which is his his philosophical mind. Yeah, and his <laughs> career, too, is, like, you know, waning. Um, what other quotes? Do you have another one to discuss? Um, yeah, I have one final one. And this is on page 54. What was she dreaming about, Mrs. Ramsey wondered, seeing her engrossed as she stood there with some thought of her own, so that she had to repeat the message twice. Ask Mildred if Andrew, Miss Doyle, and Mr. Rayleigh have come back. The words seemed to be dropped into a well, where, if the waters were clear, they were also so extraordinarily distorting that, even as they descended, one saw them twisting about to make heaven knows what pattern on the floor of the child's mind. What message would Cam give the cook? Mrs. Ramsay wondered, and indeed it was only by waiting patiently and hearing that there was an old woman in the kitchen with very red cheeks, drinking soup out of a basin, that Mrs. Ramsay at last prompted that parrot-like instinct which had picked up Mildred's words quite accurately and could now produce them, if one waited, in a colorless sing-song. 
Shifting from foot to foot, Cam repeated the words, no, they haven't, and I've told Ellen to clear away tea. Man, that is so accurate about talking to a kid. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, do you, do, does this kid actually, like, is she hearing me? Is it actually, like, going past just, like, mindless, like, repetition? Is it, and and the the imagery of, like, this information going down this deep, deep well and then being distorted in the well's waters, I was just like, man, that's just so great and so accurate. <laughs> yeah, that's hilarious. It's, do you think... Well, because I know I, I kind of earlier I sort of shrugged it off or kind of jokingly shrugged it off that I, I'm having a hard time differentiating the kids. How do you what are you reading in terms of the kids, their their relationships in the story, their prevalence? I, I do think, obviously, because she has that favored son who's still kind of gentle. She sees him as kind of a thoughtful and sort of gentle spirit. The the kid who she wants him to go to the lighthouse, James. <laughs> maybe a rescue yeah. mission for his against his like masculine <clears throat> self or I don't know how to read it fully yet. Um, but are there certain ones that are jumping out? Do you have any thoughts close readings to share with the kids um yeah so nancy's her tomboy andrew's the one who's like running around catching stuff rosie's the one who's obsessed with her mother she's the one who picks out the jewelry and everything Mm, um jeff jaffers or whatever is the the one who's really into shooting and then um so minta is not her child it's actually a friend's child um but yeah it's she even says, Mrs. Ramsey says, as she's, like, thinking about her eight kids. She's eight kids. Um, she says that each one has their own specialty. And she kind of, like, she doesn't go through the list or anything like that. But she's she's thinking, like, you know, James is, like, still the sweet one. And he's still the innocent one. And she feels bad for Rosie. She's, like, I, she feels like Rosie's the one who's most like her at her age, I guess. Right. And stuff. So that's the stuff that, that kind of... Um, it makes me remember the differences between the kids is actually Mrs. Ramsey's perceptions of them. And I think Lily's just jumped out to me, not only because of the art connection of Mila being like, oh, it's, what's up with this painting? But it's just because she has some real critical insights into others. Like, she's pretty critical yeah. of... That is her mom, right? She's not a guest. That's like, she's pretty... Cri- no, yeah. no. Lily's a guest. Oh, okay. Then maybe that's why. Yeah, is because Lily's she's really dad... critical of Mrs. Ramsey and like really seems not... I mean, disdainful yeah. is too harsh, but she definitely looks down on her and looks at her as this kind of like burned out husk of a person and so i think that was just what Mm -hmm. helped me remember her the most cam's i guess kind of interesting because he's a little bullet flying around um but oh yeah sorry what about lily yeah lily lily's um there she's a painter right so she's she's on the verge of becoming an old maid oh Uh, right yeah her reason is that her father is sick and sickly so she has to take care of him so that's how i know that he she's not related got it okay that part i didn't pay well and that's i don't know it's either me the the odd thing is with a book like this is and i and you know you and i have like i've said this is like a the dumbest not humble brag ever but like we have english degrees and even at times i'm like i don't think i understood that paragraph i just read it's like i gotta (laughs) reread a bit you know it's like uh i don't and so it's like i hope i'm giving some thematic insights like i definitely think i get the book quote unquote but there's also bare bones plot stuff like that where i'm like lily could be one of their kids i don't fucking there's so many of them i don't not paying that much attention to like i don't have a genealogy going in my brain as i read or so you know it's just like (laughs) so it's little things like that 
that. Like, I think the thematic stuff I'm is very, again, rich. It's making for great study. But at the same time, there's stuff escaping me where I'm like, I don't know if I'm going to be bothered to care. I don't, <laughs> like, I don't, yeah, I don't think yeah. I'm sweating it too much. Like, I don't think I'm deeply misreading this book just by being like, oh, is that their daughter? Oh, no, it's a guest. Okay, well, whatever. <laughs> it doesn't affect how yeah. I read it too much, you know? The, the, I think it's important for, for, the understanding of Lily as, as not being one of their kids yeah. because what she craves, she doesn't have a mother. So she's very critical of Mrs. Ramsey, but at the same time, she yearns to be treated like a child. So she sets her head in Mrs. Ramsey's lap and just wants to pour her heart out yeah. to Mrs. Ramsey. Mrs. Ramsey looks at her and like, is you know gives her the secret silent message to hey why don't you be nice to Mr. Tansley and she does it yeah like, so yeah she wants even her though to... it's not her mother right. she's like still a mother figure and maybe that's what got me on that one too well yeah no that's that's well said is that yeah. especially their little um, tele is it telepathy when you can communicate without speaking yeah, well anyway yeah. this is this is the power of the glance <laughs> the story is all glances and that is one of the glances powers is you have uh, you know tell um, telepathy over others or with others um, the only other quote I wanted to give before we move on to the motifs which we'll, we'll keep I think a little more brief maybe I don't we've gone on as with this book, it befits it, I think, <laughs> um, is just, again, I, how much of this book do you think is intentionally funny? Or, or have there been any moments to you where you thought this is funny and it was meant to be? Because I, again, struggle with this. I'm laughing at parts of this book, but I can't tell if it's a modern laugh of like, man, stories used to really be like this, huh? Incredible. Or if it's an appropriate, like, no, Wolf gets it. She's commenting. She has insight. It, this is purposeful structure. Like, what do you think? Have there been any funny moments in your mind? Um, nothing that's like funny, funny. I think ironic. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. yeah. A little like overblown in some ways to like really highlight certain things yeah but as far as like funny haha funny i not that i've encountered yet well just because uh the dinner scene there's a couple of transitions in the dinner scene that just had me just had me dying because of the absurd swings in like topic tone mood whatever where like Mm -hmm. in one in one paragraph she'll say things or not say they don't say anything (laughs) um she thinks things (laughs) um about her own home for example mrs ramsey about like everything about him she's looking at tansley or no this is lily thinking and everything about him had that meager fixity that bare unloveliness and then she thinks later she pitied men as if they lacked something which women never lacked and then the next thing actually spoken like the next dialogue is oh did you get your mail today? And so you go from these thoughts of like, these are the most pathetic specimens on earth. I despise these people or, you know, the men, it's like, I have this deep insight into like the behavior and attitudes of men. And then it's like, Oh, um, let's get the mail. Or did you get your mail? Did you write any letters today? Uh, there's also a scene in the dinner, or there's also a moment in the dinner scene when, yeah, also the other reflection, she felt the effort of merging and flowing and creating rest on her. This is uh, the mother. Again, she felt as a fact of that hostility, the sterility of men, for if she did not do it, nobody would do it. Like, you know, making the dinner function, being social, be, like connecting people. It's all up to her, mm-hmm. <laughs> protecting these social scenarios. But then, like, there's a scene, too, where she's like, I thought, I wish I was dead. And then the next line of dialogue spoken later in a paragraph is like, 
did do you think we'll go to the lighthouse do you think we'll or you know did you like your beef meal (laughs) did you enjoy the food but it's like the last thing she thought internally was uh, the world would be better if it was collapsed on itself and ended you know and there's just yeah there are just these transitions that i just am like I, I I know Wolf is, you know, couldn't be more serious kind of as an author. Her reputation, as we've noted, is incredibly protected and she's revered and admired. And so it's like you got to take these things seriously. But also, like, it's just funny to read things like this. It's just the, the nothingness of the social scenario contrasted with her thinking on it and the way she puts the characters together. I don't know. I just I think I'm going to think a good chunk of this is funny when I don't think it was fully intended to be. Yeah, I, I think of it, that whole scene is is meant to be ridiculous in, in how vapid yeah, the conversation right. is versus how rich these thoughts are and of course. How, how they're not communicating it. Yeah, so it's like, yeah, that's, that's I guess, a kind of humor. So And maybe yeah. my, like, humor reaction I'm having is, again, that's maybe the modern lens slash modern reader be putting things on it or something. I do think mm-hmm. at least Wolf would say, uh, you know, absurd for me to imagine what she would say, I guess. But I have to imagine that it was designed thinking like, no, this this contrast should be obvious. Like this is, whether it's funny or right. not is a different, maybe again, that's a modern reaction to storytelling and structure. But I do think she, there's no way she wrote this thinking like, this is the flow of life. Like, no, this is a, this is purposeful like insane twists in focus there's just Mm -hmm. (laughs) yeah you just can't write a piece of dialogue like did you get your mail and then have the next character think i wish i were dead and then the world ended and not have it be intentional it's just too tilted or something yeah um yeah yeah, i just i don't know that scene did really get me i i found some of the jumps in discussion focus reflection like just wild and very insightful too which maybe we'll get to in the motifs um any other thoughts on the dinner uh, nope, I'm good. Unintentional comedy. Did we miss any of your quotes too? I forgot. No, okay. we didn't. I no. thought so. Okay, let's do our motifs. We don't have to. We don't have to go super short. But I was I was looking at the timer here, Amanda, and we've fittingly yeah. enough uh, drug on, <laughs> dragged along. <laughs> anyway, um, the motif segment, motifs that matter. We each have selected one kind of motif or idea to explore. It could be anything. It could be a bit of writing, bit of style, a thematic component, just a character, even or just some kind of conflict. Really, anything that grabs us. So, just something we think the book is playing with, and it's essentially to give us something to think about as the book goes on. So we have a way to analyze the second half of the book when we dive into it why don't we start with yours again i feel like i was just going on so what what motif are you bringing sure um the motif is opposites everything is opposites in here um so we've got um opposite characters which would actually be mr ramsey and mr banks who are both philosophers but who have very different takes on philosophy and their understanding of their uh successes yeah and also their attitudes um, then we have Tansley, who's also a philosopher, um, versus Paul. Paul is the one who's who just got engaged. Um, right, okay. So Tansley is the one that they call the, the little atheist. But Paul is very simple. He's found love. Even Mrs. Ramsey calls him very simple. Like She's like, yeah, he's, he's not going to win any awards for his brains. Mm-hmm. But he's well off and he's happy. And Tansley is the opposite. He's a philosopher. He's very grouchy and... Very 
unattached. Talk um, about <laughs> lov- lovable slang that's died out. They call the stupid men boobs, which is fun. Yeah, Found boobies. that very charming. Yeah, it's like, well, and I think many times, or at least several times, Mrs. Ramsey thinks, like, it would have been simpler and nicer to just marry a boob. You know, it's like, yeah, yeah it would have been so much easier just a big dummy who is, like, rich and dumb. <laughs> and that yep. way I wouldn't yep. have to be burdened with this, like, shifting. We haven't really talked about Mr. Ramsey's rage. I guess I'm about to in my motif, but he's, like, secretly kind of tempestuous or something, so... Yeah, he's he's like on the verge of it seems like almost insanity yeah, in some ways. Yeah. <laughs> um, then there's Mrs. Ramsey versus Minta. So both of them are, you know, so Minta's the one who's getting engaged, but Mrs. Ramsey is like the future version of her. So she's old and she like compares herself to Minta as well, where Minta is like really good at uh, she's a favorite of Mr. Ramsey, even though mm-hmm. Minta is like also kind of a boob she's like she really pleases mr ramsey because of her simplicity but mrs ramsey is older and she's like she can read all of that right she she knows exactly what's going on there and she's like she likes minta but also she's a little jealous of her um then there's Mm -hmm. lily versus mrs ramsey which we've kind of talked about lily being the artist and and completely unattached and like a she's like uh, she's uninterested in being overly feminized either. Right. Um, which also puts Lily versus the philosophers who are all men. But Lily is a philosopher of her own right. And she's an artist. So it's like artistry versus philosophy as well. Um, but her closest friend is also Mr. Banks, who's really interested in her art, but has like doesn't understand it at all. Right. Um, right. Isn't he the one who interrupts <laughs> her when she's painting? There's a little scene yeah. where she's like mid. Yeah. Okay, that was him. I couldn't remember if it was him yeah. or Tansley. It just didn't seem like the thing the story would have Tansley do. Right. So, but yeah. So, but Mr. Banks, Lily and Mr. Banks are actually really good friends and Mrs. Ramsey kind of hopes that they'll get married, but he's yes. like significantly older than Lily. Yeah, I remember um, that part too. Okay. Yeah. And then there's also Lily versus Paul, which is interesting um, because Paul's the one who's getting married. And she actually sets up the contrast herself, Lily does. And so she's Paul is like radiating love and happiness and just like um, simplicity and all this stuff. And Lily just like uh, in the description, she pales in comparison and she's just she shrinks into herself. So there's also um, Lily versus Paul there. Um Another opposite is the boobies versus the philosophers and Mrs. Ramsey makes the point. What are the all-time battles of history, I think? Do you, do you go with <laughs> yeah. the boobies or do you go with the philosophy? I don't know. There's no clear answer, I don't think. History history has declared no side the victor here. <laughs> yep, yep. We're all winners. Um. I guess, yeah, I guess why can't you have both, right? It can't be, you know. Anyway, continue, sorry. Um... But Mrs. Ramsey makes the point that um, she finds that boobies are actually kinder and she she likes them better, which is why she likes Paul so much. Um, and then another contrast that we see a lot of that sh- that I guess uh, Virginia Woolf is quite famous for is like men versus women, where men are seen as needy, vain and childlike versus women who are protectors um, and that they're empty so that the men may pour themselves into the women. Um, she also describes the men as barren a lot of the time, and then the women as very fertile. Um, uh, and then there's also uh, Mrs. Ramsey makes the point of saying that men um, want pity, 
Right, um, right. And but are pitiless, right? They they will not provide it. Yeah. Whereas women are the opposite, right? They don't need pity, but they will give pity to others. Right. right. And out of pity, will will act charitably. Um, and then also, um, the the men versus women. She actually seems to create this dichotomy where men are the philosophers. Um, but women are the artists in a lot of ways, which is what Lily is. But also they have, um, um, I'll, I'll read this quote from page 106 really quickly. Um, all right. Uh, Voltaire and Madame de Stael on the character of Napoleon, on the French system of land tenure on Lord Roseberry on Creevy's memoirs. These are all philosophies. (laughs) She let it uphold her and sustain her this admirable fabric of the masculine intelligence which ran up and down across this way and that like iron girders spanning the swaying fabric upholding the world so that she could trust herself to it utterly even shut her eyes or flicker them for a moment as a child staring up from its pillow winks at the myriad layers of the leaves of a tree and she woke up it was still being fabricated william banks was praising the waverly novels um, and just to be clear, they, she wasn't sure if the Waverly novels were written by um, Scott or Austin. Right. Jane Austen. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> written by Scott. Definitely not written by Jane Austen. Yeah, um, yeah that's great. <laughs> uh, but yeah, the, the philosophy and the idea of weaving. So all these philosophies that she's so unfamiliar with, but she's trying to put it into something that she can understand, which is the, the, uh, the imagery of the weaving, which I thought was really cool. And how she... Um, interprets those philosophies of the men into something that she finds uh, more relatable. So again, we have that opposite there. Well, and I think too, Um, yeah, that that list, I remember that list being kind of telling about how she perceives the male domain versus the female domain or something like that. But yeah, good. Right. Um, Then we have Tansley's love for Mrs. Ramsey when he goes to the shop. Uh, with her, it's amazing. She, he realizes that she he loves her, and he, she but just then, disdains like, him. It's incredible. Yeah, it's great. One of the one of the fun, just kind of like fun and the kind of silly like drama. Let's throw in some interpersonal drama ways, but it's just great. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. She's just like, uh, he's so detestable. Yeah, like, and it was just, that was just like a little. So it's like the chapter is is or the volume is broken up into like mini chapters mm-hmm. so it's like chapter one included that and then chapter two is just like two lines or three lines or whatever and it's like man he's so like ew <laughs> yeah that's um, great uh, then we also have love versus marriage which which mrs ramsey kind of thinks about where she's like, love is such a great thing, and I'm just so happy for people who found love. But then, like, the very same paragraph at the end, she's like, but man, marriage? Like, oh, what a waste of time, and what a, like, <laughs> what a terrible activity, um, which I found interesting. So um, the opposite there. And um, and there's an actual analysis of Lily, actually. Lily, I think it is, actually analyzes um, the idea of opposites on page 102. Um for what happened to her, especially staying with the Ramses, was to be made to feel violently two opposite things at the same time. That's what you feel was one. That's what I feel was the other. And then they fought together in her mind as now. It is so beautiful, so exciting, this love that I tremble on the verge of it and offer quite out of my own habit to look for a brooch on a beach. Also, it is the stupidest, the most barbaric of human passions and turns a nice young man with a profile like a gem's. Paul's was exquisite into a bully with a crowbar. Hmm. 
He was swaggering. He was insolent in the Mile End Road. And then it goes on and on. So there's an actual list of opposites that Lily's, like, exploring and, and yeah. stuff. So yeah. Yeah. Maybe Lily is not the main character, if there even could be a protagonist here, but maybe she will be the, not above the fray, but I think she does have critical reads that we can't ignore, sort of. Artist insight or something. Interesting. I wonder how much of the second half of the story will be given to her, too. I also want to spend more time with Mrs. Ramsey, so, uh, yeah, we'll see how the narrative balances out. Excellent. What do you think... Um, how do you read? Because you know, let's not ignore it. I don't want the lowest hanging fruit, but let's do it. What's the what's the divide versus go, to go to the lighthouse versus not to go? It's probably the most obvious opposite, which is that we've got characters who think they should go and want to, and then others who like reject it. So, what, what's the quick read on that? If you have one, it's um, well, Mr. Ramsey puts it as uh, reality realism. Like the reality of the storm yeah. coming, yeah. versus uh, fantasy, which he he's like that's just useless. You're just filling the boy's head with nothingness. Um, yeah, hopes, right? But yeah, but Mrs. Ramsey doesn't see it that way. She sees it as being nice versus being just like mean and nasty and not being supportive of the child. Yeah, and um, and James sees it in much the same way. I think the child who actually wants to go is like, daddy's being mean and mommy is, you know, a great goddess. I think critically too, for <laughs> at least from Wolf's construction and kind of her perspective that we can infer, it's like, it, it it's that classic, like the men know the science. They, they get it. Like they know the stuff of the world, but he's just guessing. It's not like he has any, he doesn't like have, have any actual analytical insight. This is also the technology we have, of course, to predict whether it didn't exist then, at least not. <laughs> they probably had some balloons or something floating around or who knows. They can read the clouds, but it's, there's no substantial insight offered not that the characters would ever talk to each other about that kind of thing but like he just kind of says it and is like now it looks bad like it's not gonna happen it doesn't look doesn't look right the weather's wrong and it's just kind of like yeah man like that's not an actual analysis that's just you you're just freestyling it here and want you want the air of authority but don't have the cred you know (laughs) don't have the background or whatever um and so that's yeah i thought that was also kind of funny honestly another like i i don't know again i read that as kind of humorous like look at this silly man i know she's thematically treating it in a quite a serious way but another thing that i kind of chuckled at in the background lightly chuckled should we talk about men more amanda (laughs) Because that's my motif. <laughs> Let's do it. <laughs> well, I, the, and the adjectives I went with for my motif are embattled and embittered. I, there's another simpler reading where it's just like, let's connect violent imagery and men because there's a lot of it here. There's like, oh, yeah. think of the think of the pool, which I'll start with just because I read that long quote. It, that character is tomboy-like and is presented to be off-putting for that. And like, what is her fantasy about? It's like doing control, violence, like having millions of people be beholden to your whims and, you know, like death and destruction and... And it's just like a pretty meaningful insight then into how I don't the genders are presented, right? And like how right. Wolf wants us to analyze and think about the differences here. On page six, also we can start with Mrs. Ramsey. I think we've covered her really well on the episode, so I don't I don't think we've like missed a key character beat. But yeah, here yeah. she talks about chivalry, like in the early parts of the book, and she says, "For men, mm-hmm. for their chivalry and valor, for the fact that they negotiated treaties, ruled India, controlled finance, and then finally, which she talks about herself, and like she's more childlike, and then later it says, for all for there was in all of their minds, men's minds, a mute questioning of deference and chivalry of the Bank of England and the Indian Empire." 
of ringed fingers and lace, though to all of them there was something in this essence of beauty which they called the manliness um, in their girlish hearts. And so mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's, it's civilization building, governmental control, finance, you know, the, the, the big shifting topics of the world or something like the, the people and continent shifting things. And it's just, that's how she sees men. Of course, in her internal life, she's got her own complexities, desires, and things that she can't articulate or won't. But I do think that that lays out and it's a clear marker early in the narrative too to be like hey if we're going to be thinking about gender roles here's how this critical character views men i don't know if you had any follow-up on those insights no i think that's perfect yeah yeah Yeah. she definitely lays it out pretty early i love how she describes her husband as an odious little man when they have the argument about the uh the lighthouse this is another a fascinating character beat for her because she demeans him in her mind regularly and questions him, questions his ability, his competence, his career. But also, like, there's lines, and I forget how it's exactly phrased, where she says, there reflects and says things like, thinks things like, but I can't, you know, but I do love him so, or I can't ignore the love I have, or, but I have to stick with him, or I need to support him. And so... Yeah, there's this kind of contrast back and forth between this biting critique, this biting insight that she has, but then also she's thinking like, oh, well, I have to stand by him, <laughs> this odious little man, this cruel man who can predict the yeah, weather. Cruel. Um, yeah, and she resents him for a lot of different things, yeah. too. Like, she... <laughs> when he at the dinner when he's upset because a dude asked for Augustus asked for a second bowl of soup right. and he's just like so impatient and she's just like man chill like <laughs> she, Soup's she's good, just like right? sitting there like ah, oh, he's he's gonna blow up here in a second and I just I'm so tired of his antics and yeah. she's there's a lot of like negativity that goes on in her mind about him he she doesn't want him to like interrupt her time with James when he's like running around quoting that somebody has blundered or whatever yeah yeah yeah. Um, that's great and she like intrudes on their time together she's just like oh like get out of here man yeah (laughs) yeah yeah fed up yeah yeah it's (laughs) i think it is we haven't read the story maybe this way or i haven't discussed it this way i I should say but it is kind of a fascinating marriage story i I, again we haven't i don't think our main thematic insights have have been on that but yeah if we just kind of looked at it between their relationship and marriage there could be i don't know yeah there's a real close read to be done on that um Mm -hmm. a couple other things of of men or about men the embattled embittered you know world on their shoulders types of men on page 22 got a quote here and this is, I believe, see, this is where I get in trouble. Is it Lily thinking this? No, this yeah, is... she's not real clear with the, the antecedent and pronouns. Uh, yeah, you have to, like, it go is way tough. back. <laughs> yeah, it is tough. Oh, no, it's Banks. Banks thinks this about him, about Ramsey. So the, Mr. Ramsey, this is Banks thinking about him. It says, he weighed Ramsey's case, commiserated him, envied him, as if he had seen him divest himself of all those glories of isolation and austerity which crowned him in youth to cumber himself definitely with fluttering wings and clucking domesticities. And again, like, do you not think that's a hilarious description i know it's it's meant to be really biting and it's this hyper masculine like you know negging of this other guy who's got a family life but i don't know there's just there's just like clucking domesticities is a hilarious turn of phrase like it's i don't know i man i don't know why i'm finding so much of this book funny but it's and also that scene too ties in really well with i think it was like the previous paragraph to that where um 
when they are walking together and like sharing their philosophies and then Ramsey looks down and sees the chicken and, and he's like beautiful and then like the next day he's like you know trying to find a wife is essentially how mm-hmm. Banks thinks of it yeah. so it ties in nicely with that <laughs> the the chicken uh, catharsis I guess <laughs> yeah yeah well it's what we all seek catharsis through chicken yeah. i'm thinking like fried chicken <laughs> catharsis but we all got our types <laughs> we've, we've all got our uh, foibles you know and um and flaws and that yeah, mine is yeah. that i see catharsis through you know through fried chicken i guess yeah no that is funny but it's it's just meaningful because you can't there's no man's point of view in the story that will escape the kind of again i'll go back to embattled embittered point of view of like we're in a fight here you you gotta you know for the duty of civilization or something you have to like fight and adhere to certain things and do and behave certain ways and just have a certain attitude about your life and your accomplishments and works and stuff so yeah Mm -hmm. the final quote or there's a couple more but i think this will be my final one for this motif could we escape this without getting a quote from mr ramsey's point of view we could not we have to see what he thinks of himself um as a man so this is on page 31 what he thinks of himself and this is when his wife had just mentioned something. Oh, the lighthouse. Of course. Why am I overthinking this? It's they had just disagreed about the lighthouse <laughs> trip, and it's um he had snapped at her, and how did he know? She asked. The wind often changed, which is you know that's her whole point. Is like you don't have some scientific insight. What's wrong with you? Like how do you how do you claim this? His thought on this is follows: the extraordinary irrationality of her remark, the folly of women's minds, enraged him. He had ridden through the valley of death, been shattered and shivered, and now she flew in the face of facts made his children hope what was utterly out of the question, in effect told lies. He stamped his foot on the stone step. Damn you, he said. But what had she said? Simply that it might be fine tomorrow, so it might. And so, you know, he's torn here. He wants to obviously enrage, stamp, like literally he's kind of doing, he's doing some light violence, you know, just, just feeling himself out, seeing what, seeing where it takes him. But it's also like, just the language around men in the story is so clear. The motif to me is clear anyway. It's like, it's always violent. It's, he's battling, he's fighting, yep. he's, just, he's striving for something. He's literally riding like on a, you know, like, like on a horse with a sword or something. I know I didn't say that, but it's, it's the imagery it's playing with, um, some of the motifs it's playing with. And I, yeah, I don't know. Again, it's, I don't think that is, again, explicitly humorous or anything quite like that. But also, seeing his hyper self perception in the context of the story in which nothing occurs is funny to me. It just is funny. Yeah. I don't, I don't know how else to phrase it. Like, it, I don't know. And I, again, I don't think ridiculous. That's, I yeah. Think. I don't think it's all intended, you know, because her, because she writes it so well, too. But, uh, yeah, anyway, I just thought I'd bring up that quote, too. Couldn't leave the motif of, you know, the man, the embattled man, without bringing up his own self-perception. What are we missing for Mr. Ramsey? What, what are any final thoughts you have about him, his role, his purpose? Um, Maybe we miss nothing. That's, hey. <laughs> I yeah, just wanted to make sure I mean, we didn't he's... end it without, like, you know, is there anything left to, to say about him? Yeah, I don't think so. He's he's a man struggling with what he feels is like his coming irrelevance, especially yeah. in the philosophical world. Yep, um, his impotence. Well, career impotence. Exactly. She, but got to be careful with that term. It's got literal meanings <laughs> too. But yes, yeah, his career impotence. Um, excellent. And any other thoughts? I know I, I cut out some quotes there just because timing wise, I don't want us to go too close to an hour and a half for the first yeah. episode. You know, and try and try and keep it listenable. 
but did I miss anything or were just there any moments about men and like the version of misogyny masculinity mentioned I'll say that the dinner quote with Mr. Tansley's got some choice quotes because he just hates I think he hates everyone but he hates women especially he He just doesn't want to be he wants to sit in silence and work it's a real pathetic isolated form of (laughs) of manliness that he feels but were there any quotes or moments you wanted to briefly touch on um no I I did like uh with Tansley too that he's he gets more and more worked up because he feels like nobody's actually like giving him the venue to like express his genius. So mm. then, and Lily's like notice knows it, and she's just like watching him flounder, and she's like taking great enjoyment out of it. But then yeah. he like gives her that look. Yeah. And then she relents and like is like, oh yeah, here, Mister Tansley, let me throw you a bone. <laughs> like, yeah, she's tremendous. But I, I love that. <laughs> That's great. Okay, let's move to our list then. I think we've covered our motifs wonderfully. Let's do the list. Um, This is our final segment in Part 1 Book Clubs, where we construct a top three list of top three anything of our choice based on the work. We usually theme it differently. And did we go with... We went with nature, right? We were debating this. Yeah, just nature moments. Yeah, anything about nature, the natural world. um, And we'll count down from three to one. We'll each discuss our top three and why we chose those things. And I think, you know, for a story that's a ton of internal reflection, I think some of the nature stuff has been meaningful and very insightful too. Like it's, it's not a story. I mean, obviously it's intensely literary, but I'm just thinking of in traditional storytelling fiction technique, like there's still some pretty traditional, meaningful examples of, of devices and images and stuff. Anyway, what's mm-hmm. your number three? Um, so mine is, uh, towards the beginning of the book, it's Lily and she's thinking about, cause she, you know, she's an artist, um, but she's thinking about her inability to express herself, to, to voice the things that she's actually thinking and to make clear her ideas. Cause she's talking to Mr. Banks and trying to explain to him that, um, she likes Mr. Banks better than Mr. Ramsey, uh, for a lot of reasons, Yeah, but she uses, uh, trees, especially this pear tree, um, in in her description, and I thought that it was just absolutely beautiful. So I'll just uh, super quickly read it. Standing now, apparently transfixed by the pear tree, impressions poured in upon her of those two men, and to follow her thought was like following a voice which speaks too quickly to be taken down by one's pencil. And the voice was her own, saying without prompting, undeniable, everlasting, contradictory things, so that even the fissures and humps on the bark of the pear tree were irrevocably fixed there for eternity. You have greatness, she continued, but Mr. Ramsey has none of it. He is petty, selfish, vain, egotistical. He is spoiled. He is a tyrant. He wears Mrs. Ramsey to death, but he has what you, she addressed Mr. Banks, have not a fiery unworldliness. He knows nothing about trifles. He loves dogs and his children. He has eight. Mr. Banks has not blah, blah, blah. Hold on. All of this danced up and down like a company of gnats, each separate, but all marvelously controlled an invisible elastic net danced up and down in Lily's mind in and about the branches of the pear tree were still hung in effigy, the scrubbed kitchen table, symbol of her profound respect for Mrs. Ramsey's mind until her thought, which had spun quicker and quicker, exploded of its own intensity. She felt released. A shot went off close at hand, and there came, flying from its fragments, frightened, effusive, tumultuous, a flock of starlings. I thought that scene was just so great. She's, like, fixated on this idea of the pear tree, and then her thoughts are like these gnats, and then there's an actual shot, Jaffer's shooting. Yeah, right, the distraction. And then these starlings. I just thought that was so, so well done. Hey, well, if you're a woman trying to think about your 
your role in the world and your place in your art, what's better than getting a gunshot from a man to interrupt it all? <laughs> is there <laughs> is there anything more telling, you know, symbolically than that? Just getting a big gunshot mm-hmm. in the background. Is Jasper a kid? Who's Jasper? Is that a, a child? A groundskeeper? Yeah, I think so, one of her older. Oh, okay, older kid. <laughs> I couldn't remember if there was a groundskeeper. At some point, I think there's one alluded to, but uh, again, yeah. it's all lost in the in the name soup. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm going to do mine. I'll probably go quoteless for these, except for one of them. But uh, Lily thinking about the tree in her painting, I'm going to count that as a nature moment, even though I know it's also yeah. you know kind of hedging there. I'm, I'm doing some sneaky picks here, but I just thought that in the dinner scene, because again, it's one of those transition juxtapositions that Wolf has done well, where she's thinking about she really wants to improve this painting. She finally has the insight about how she can make it better and make the composition better but then also keeps getting interrupted in her own thoughts by like critiquing the people at the table thinking like negative things about them and like not exactly you know pleasant or complimentary things and i just thought that found that very funny it was kind of like she wants to be off in her creative space and world but keeps having these interrupting thoughts i i counted that as a nature moment yeah yeah and, and trees are very much associated with lily um, yeah yeah, one of the wise, sturdy ones. We'll see if that holds up. Uh, what's your number two? Nature yeah. moment. My, uh, my number two is with Mrs. Ramsey, and she's, again, relating the idea of, like, branches and trees to her thought processes. Um, so this one, this time it's elm branches, and what she's envisioning is these elm branches, and as she's, like, looking through these branches that are full of, like, disconcerting things, she gets a glimpse of the stars through it, and there's that clarity, that sense of, like of beauty and like ah oh, there it is um yeah. so i thought that was a really nice image that was a really good one too yeah little moments like that have been fun i think the one you just picked though is the one i should have had on my list i was just thinking it over i enjoyed that scene too with the, the pear tree my number two and this is another sneak sorry i'm going cowardice on this trying to trying to sneak things in but you tell me if this i found this to be a nature moment but it's from tansley's just curmudgeonly point of view his thoughts on 89 in the dinner what does one live for why one asks oneself does one take all these pains for the human race to go on is it so very desirable are we attractive as a species not so very he thought looking at those rather untidy boys um just the ugliness of humanity i feel like that counts as a as a nature moment where he thinks like in the grand construction of earth's biosphere are humans that interesting or pretty or enjoyable aesthetically like no we're kind of an ugly little thing (laughs) Uh, Mm -hmm. i'm counting that as a nature moment because we're a part of the natural yeah. world, you know? We are. Yeah. It is just hilarious. That makes sense to me. It's, it's yeah. one of those, again, one of those dinner moments where you go from people talking about the male to him thinking the human race is disgusting and should end. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which yep. I rather enjoyed those moments, too. Uh, what's your number one nature <laughs> moment? Uh, mine is actually towards the beginning of the book. Um, and Mrs. Ramsey is, like, looking out the window and um, looking at the White House, uh, light, White House, the Lighthouse. Well, um, yeah, a, <laughs> as far as English families go, there's some, we, we haven't had to talk much about race, the role of race, but maybe that'll become a theme anyway. <laughs> um, but the the waves, um, she's relating the, the actual, like, ocean's waves to what her, 
life seems like and so at the beginning it's like it's it's pleasant there's this like background noise and you're just kind of like oh nice and then there's like a silence and then the and then the waves and the noises come crashing down and it's like this cacophony and it's like violent and it's overtaking things and Mm -hmm. it's like distracting so i related that actually what i what i liked about it too is it seemed to me that it was like um a comparison to the idea of like aging in time where things are just like beautiful yeah. and happy and like, you know, in the background and then it becomes in the forefront and is like a danger um, as, as you go through time. So yeah, I thought that was really well done. Thematically, probably the strongest pick of worthy number one, then in a sense, she also, uh, yeah, because she also, at some point, she being Ms. Ramsey consoles herself by listening to the waves. I think it's a post dinner or pre dinner moment for her. And there is a sense. Yeah. Cause she also, another reflection we missed, but how could we cover everything in the book? Anyway, I don't can't beat ourselves up about missing some insight or whatever, but she does think about time too. She does talk about how it's kind of like maddening how much time has passed and thinks about the ages of her children too, partially. And kind of like yeah that she feels kind of stuck or lost in time so yeah thematically excellent and my number one which i don't have to recount much of i just thought the whole pool scene was fascinating um the waves coming and going her of course losing a piece of memorabilia like a really meaningful memento but then the waves like you know time coming at her and thinking like it's going to wash over it and they can't fight it they can't resist and it's going to take over and there's again those beautiful details i thought the character work with her being a leviathan was you know really interesting and kind of horrifying yeah i just thought that whole scene was great i'm i'm putting that as my number one just the interactions in the ocean pool Mm-hmm. Such that's such a great scene. I didn't yeah. even think about that when I was coming up with the list, but well, the other yeah. two I put in were kind of fakes, but they I'd say they count. <laughs> <laughs> Nature painting, ugly humanity, you know, uh, the the non worthiness of the human species. Uh, anyhow, any final thoughts on to the lighthouse? At least the first part by Virginia Woolf. Uh, nope, I think I'm good. And I know, I feel like I did this more at the beginning than you did. Do you want to say your piece just in terms of overall impressions? Like, are you liking it? How do you feel? I know, I also know you tagged in there too and said some things, but I just feel like I went on. Did you have any overall impressions so far? Like, you've never read Wolf before. What's the, the yeah. bi- big view so far? Um, I feel like I would really like her if she had shorts. I don't know if she did, but I feel like I would really like her short stories. Um, because she's so detail oriented and I do like her writing style in general, but, uh, the, I don't know, like people make fun of me because I'm a huge Jane Austen fan and they're like, Oh, that's like old stuff. But I, I do like the old stuff. But the thing about like Jane Austen is she does actually have a plot and there. There's like actual, like, you know, plot progression and, and movement yeah. along with, you know, these, these ideas of like, uh, you know, what people think and, and these family dramas. Yeah. So, I, I like the way that she. I, I I feel like there are some bits of this that I'm like, wow, that's amazing, or wow, that's really thoughtful. And then, but then I'm like, oh man, this is like really bogging me down too because yeah. it's so difficult to get through because there's no actual like progression. I feel like some so, literary yeah. works, and I'd broaden this to all art. It is more fun to discuss and analyze than to experience. Right. It's just it's just how it is. And I think I try and appreciate both. I think, you know, when you get into your life, eventually you kind of start cutting out the, like, I'm not going to slog through something that's miserable just to slog it out. <laughs> Though, again, I, I think having a purpose like this, doing, well, I mean, we have our podcast, but I, it, I think it's why I failed to read this book on my own. 
Like I, I, it's just would be without a person to talk to, a reason to analyze some kind of detail, some kind of insights to unravel. I, yeah, I just don't think I'd be able to fight through it. It's, it's fascinating in its way, of course, but it, it's tough. I think it's, it is just picking it up feels like a burden. Uh, it's rewarding, of right. course, but yeah, I, it also, again, the hilarious way to phrase this, at least hilarious to how I was perceiving it is like, it does help me understand how some people view just like reading and engaging with literature where it's like, I could, mm-hmm. I, I would completely empathize with somebody who tried to read half of this book and was like, that book is nonsense. There's nothing goes on. I don't know what the <laughs> characters are talking about all the time. Like she keeps changing point of view. I don't know who's thinking what, I don't know what's, you know, whose insight is for what and which and what to think. Um, I don't know there's fun in that too obviously we also have a bias because we have a platform to just hash it out (laughs) but yeah it's it's an awfully tough thing i will say that i did not get excited about picking it up every time i went to read it but you know we had a lovely conversation and there have been real moments of yeah just brilliance too so what can you do that's how art goes sometimes (laughs) um okay final thoughts for the first half anything else anything we left out um, I don't think so. Okay, excellent. Well, those are our thoughts on the first part of To the Lighthouse by Virginia Woolf. That part was, again, called the, shoot, I already forgot, The Waves? The Window. There we go. The Window. Yeah. The Next window. week <laughs> on part two for the book club, we will be spoiling the other two parts, which are, again, Time Passes and The Lighthouse. So if you're spoiler reverse, just read ahead or catch up with us there. We appreciate you listening all the way through. As ever, if you could leave a rating on Google Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, we're up on all the platforms, the major ones. So any rating and review helps us there. Five stars brings people to the show, which is always beneficial. And then we also have social media accounts. I'll remind you about those briefly. On Instagram and Facebook, we are at the lightly literary podcast which is all one word so follow us there that's where we post updates and promotions for what we're doing so if you're curious or you want to know that's where you should follow us thanks again for sticking it through check us out next week on friday as always for part two and until next time we'll see you between the pages 